You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let me add to the welcomes that you have already received. Particular welcome to you this morning. If this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. We hope you feel at home. Uh, We love Jesus, and our hope is that you'll get to know Jesus better as a result of being with us. And so whether you've known him for your whole life or whether you're new and in checking out Jesus for the very first time, uh, we hope and trust that Jesus will be lifted up in our gathering. Hey, uh, also uh, add to the welcomes to those that are tuning in online. Uh, Thanks for those that have joined us. Do an emoji or all those things uh, if you're tracking along. But hey, my name is Dave. Uh, It is my honor to serve as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, And I've got a four-point sermon for before my sermon. Who's ready for that one? Now, this isn't really a sermon, but four things really briefly just to uh, share with you before we pray and dig into God's Word. Number one, just to add to what Zach has already said, how good was last week? It was good. Yeah, we go. Three people. It was four people before, so we lost some interest. Uh, but hey, last week was a wonderful celebration. Thank you for being part of our fifth birthday. Uh, thank you for the many who helped to make it happen. There was a lot that happened behind the scenes in the lead up and on the day, uh, and even afterwards as well. And so thank you for those that served so humbly and sacrificially uh, to be part of that day. Thanks to our staff team in particular for all of their heavy lifting uh, to make that celebration happen. Uh, but thank you for being part of this church. Thank you for being part of what God is doing. Uh, It really was an encouragement for me to uh, see people, but to get alongside people and hear little snippets of how God has been at work uh, in 
real people in our church over the last five years. And uh, we want to continue uh, to do what we're doing, to continue to know Jesus and make Jesus known uh, and see what God does in the next five years uh, and beyond. There's number one. Number two, today is October the 31st. Yesterday was October the 30th. And uh, good news, our family got our Christmas tree up yesterday. Come on, who else has got their Christmas tree up? Amazing. We've got a couple of hands out there with them already up. This is our record as a family. I think last year we were November 2. We're like, this Saturday's the time to do it. Let's do it. And we had a party and we had a ball. And now, right now, there's some people there going, bah, humbug, I can't believe you'd put a tree up so early. Well, guess what? Jesus came uh, to be the saviour of the world. He's the king. He's awesome. And we want to extend the celebration and make much of Jesus because hashtag Jesus is the reason for the season. There we go. Uh, that, you can use that hashtag. You're welcome to if you'd like. Uh, but hey, we've got an exciting couple of months uh, coming up to get ready for Christmas. And uh, I think this is a time of the year where we can engage our friends and family who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, and so let's be praying for opportunities um, to make Jesus known uh, in this season. Hey, number three is, can you please pray for our staff team? Uh, we're going away for two days, uh, two nights. We're going away later tonight uh, up to the sunny coast uh, for a staff retreat. Uh, we'll spend time in the Word. We'll be thinking about vision. We'll be thinking about leadership. Uh, we'll be eating eating some good food, um, strengthening our relationships together. Uh, and so could you pray? Uh, pray for us while we're away. Uh, pray likewise uh, for f- fruit in and through our lives and for our families uh, who will be without us for a couple of days. Uh, we and they would value your prayers. Uh, the fourth and final thing uh, is just a, a heads up that we don't know what the next couple of months are going to look like in southeast Queensland, Brisbane, uh, when it comes to COVID stuff. I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, we've, the last 20 months has been uh, wild all around the world, but if we're honest, aside from the big lockdown last year, we've been operating relatively normally for 15 months now. Uh, we've had times where there's been increased restrictions and less seating and more rules and, and whatnot. We've had short, shorter lockdowns, but if we're honest, uh, as much as there may have been an impact, and I know people have felt the impact of having closed borders and not being able to go overseas to see family or interstate to see family, so not suggesting that we've had it easy and, and nothing to contend with at work or within our families or even those short stints of homeschooling and so on, but if we're honest, uh, it's, it's been pretty good. Even as we look south to New South Wales, look further south to Victoria, we've had it very good compared to what it has looked like for them. Um, Now, why say this? I want to invite you to be praying over these next couple of months. There's uncertainty. We've got some elements of a roadmap, but not many elements of a roadmap. We don't know, will the borders be open? What will the rules be? This is what we know so far about travel interstate. Uh, We're not quite sure what the rules will be for businesses. Uh, There's a lot of complex things and a lot of uncertainty. Uh, And so I want to invite you to be praying and want to invite you to be part of staying united together as the people of God. There might be things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, There certainly, as I speak to medical people in our church, uh, hospitals are getting ready uh, for... Uh, for worse things in the future. Uh, We don't know what all the rules will be. We don't know what the rules of this cinema will be on how we can do gatherings. We don't know what the government mandates will be. We don't know about vaccine passports, all that type of stuff. We actually don't know. But brothers and sisters, we've got the opportunity to be united together. 
Uh, even in, in discomfort, even in disagreement, even in circumstances where we wish they were different, uh, we strive as the people of God uh, to not only have unity in Christ in the heavenly realms, but as the people of God, even if things are going to get uncomfortable for coming weeks and months and who knows how long. Does that make sense? I don't have the answers, but we know the one who does. Uh, and so we continue to entrust ourselves to him. We continue to know that he is in control. Uh, and if nothing else, uh, this last two years has been an opportunity to know that ultimately none of us are in control anyway, right? How many of us have had plans change? Every single one of us have had plans change, but we know the God who is in control of history. We know the God who is at work in all things for the good of his people. And so we keep trusting him. We keep encouraging each other to keep trusting in him. Uh, we love each other. Uh, we remain united in all things. Does that sound like a good prayer request? Amen. Uh, well, why don't I pray to that end and pray for our time in God's word now. Uh, let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful, we're so thankful for all you've done among us in the last five years. Uh, Father, thank you that even for the last couple of years, there's been lots of uncertainty and yet you've continued to build your church. And so we thank you. And, and Father, as we look ahead, um, we're reminded we're not in control. We don't know exactly what the coming weeks and months will look like, but we trust you. And Father, we pray that as a church community, you'd help us even uh, in, um, in uncertainty, in disagreement, uh, in um, changing goalposts, in, in, in whatever is to come, may we be united in Christ Jesus. May we love each other. Uh, may we um, work through uh, whatever constraints that we have and situations that we find ourselves in. Uh, and may we love deeply as you have loved us in Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask right now that you give us faith to receive the word that we've just heard and that by the illumination and the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd enable us to understand what it means and that you would give to us the will to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently uh, because Jesus is alive, he rules and one day he will return. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. Uh, well, we all worship someone or something. Now, that might sound like a fairly obvious statement in a religious gathering, Christians gathered together like this. We all worship someone or something, but here's the thing, it's not just religious people, those belonging to the major world religions who worship someone or something. Even atheists, who claim, to, who claim that there is no God, who claim that they are not worshippers of a deity, of a God. Even atheists have someone or something that captivates them, allures them, is the ultimate thing that gives them meaning and purpose and drive in their life. Uh, the American novelist uh, David Foster Wallace uh, said these remarkable words about how we are all worshippers. He said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, uh, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what 
to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. We all worship someone or something. The question is, what will we worship? Is it money and things? Is it body, beauty and sexual allure? Is it career and success and power? And the question I want to ask you this morning is, what are you going to worship? What are you worshipping and what are you going to worship? This is the second last week of our Encounter teaching series and in it, Jesus encounters a rich ruler. And he has the dilemma of what he will worship. And so we're going to walk through this story from Luke chapter 18. If you've got a Bible, keep it out, keep it open. Most of the verses will also be up on the screen. And hey, just quickly, if you don't own a paper copy of the Bible, we'd love to gift one to you. So please see our team out at the info desk after the service. We'd love to put one in your hands and encourage you to encounter Jesus for yourself through reading God's Word. Uh, but from Luke chapter 18, as we consider this question, who are you going to worship? There's three things I want you to notice in this story. Number one is is the request, number two is the problem, and number three is the solution. The request, the problem, the solution. Who's ready for the first one? Come on. For those taking notes, number one is the request. The request. There's a ruler who encounters Jesus with a request. Have a look at verse 18. Luke 18, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, what do we know about this man? Well, he's a ruler. Uh, he's an important person. He has some level of power and authority within this local jurisdiction. Uh, and he asks a really important question. Now, he, he calls Jesus a good teacher. You know, he, he knows Jesus is a teacher. And so, well, how will this good teacher answer this question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Let's be honest, it's a critical question to know the answer to, isn't it? How would you respond to that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is received by dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. Eternal life is received by... You see, how we fill in the blank is significant get it wrong, and it could be, who knows, that we don't have eternal life, that we can't have assurance that we've personally got eternal life. You know, look, it might well be that you, you've joined us at church today, and one of the reasons you've been coming, whether for a short time or a longer time, is you're desperate to find answers to some of the, the big questions of life, like how to find life, but for eternity. 
If that's one of your questions, it is a good question. And this is a good place to come and hear what does Jesus have to say in response to this question. We're glad you're here. And we're glad you're here to hear from the good teacher. But before Jesus answers the question, just notice in the next verse, he pushes back a little bit. Verse 19, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay, what's going on here? We, we understand from elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus is good, right? And why is Jesus good? Because Jesus is God. Christians, an orthodox belief is that there is one God, but there are three persons within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's claimed, is God come to us in the flesh. Is Jesus here then denying his divinity? Is Jesus actually saying, hang on, I'm not good, I'm not God? Not at all. I think what he's doing is he's refusing to accept the ruler's flattery of him. You know, like a a bunch of others who are encountering Jesus in the surrounding chapters in Luke's gospel, this man, in many ways, he's wanting to make himself look good, isn't he? And so Jesus' pushback is a warning at the front end of the conversation. Jesus is not afraid to shoot it straight with him. Have a look at his response from Jesus. Verse 20, he says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honour your father and mother. What does Jesus do there in verse 20? He quotes five of the ten commandments from the Old Testament law from Exodus chapter 20. Do these, keep these. And what does the ruler say in response? Well, he says, verse 21, all these I've kept from my youth. Is that it? Ace the exam. Hey, I've grown up in a religious family. Hey, I've walked in obedience to these laws. And so is that it? Has he passed the test? Can he be assured that he has eternal life? Here's five rules. Check, check, check check, check. Thanks, good teacher. Give me eternal life. Well, what, look what Jesus says next. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus identifies a weak spot. You've just ticked the box on five rules that you claim to have kept, but Jesus knows that he's still lacking something. That he actually doesn't have any reason why he ought to have assurance of eternal life. You see, Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, give up your worldly possessions. Be generous to the poor. And then 
you want to be serious about this eternal life thing, then come follow me. And presumably, if he does those things and follows after Jesus, he can then have eternal life. But, as we read in verse 23, the man is sad when he hears these things. Why is he sad? It says, for he was extremely rich. It's important as we reflect on this verse and even what Jesus has done in what he has said and what he hasn't said is just to spend a few moments reflecting upon the Ten Commandments. Again, you can look this up in your own time. We also studied the book of Exodus earlier this year. Uh, But the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 10 more or less have two halves to them. The first half of the Ten Commandments are commandments all about loving God. And the second half of the Ten Commandments are all about loving others. Love God, love others. We read elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus, when he is asked which are the greatest commandments, Jesus actually says, love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Those two commandments, love God and love others, are effectively a summary of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus has has listed five of the second half of those commandments, of, of love others. Now, did the ruler, this rich ruler, did he actually obey and keep all those commandments? Who knows? But we can certainly see in Jesus' second question, without even having to list the first half of the Ten Commandments, he doesn't love God. He doesn't worship God. At least with his whole heart, mind, soul and strength. This rich ruler loves his possessions and his money more than he loves God. He, he, in many ways, he has the appearance, he has the external religious deeds that are good. And yet there is a lack of an internal heart change. You see, so often religion is concerned with outward adherence to rules without an inward inclination of the heart toward God. I'll keep some rules, I'll do some deeds, I'll look like I'm doing the right thing and yet I don't treasure Him more than the things of this world. The city of Brisbane is an affluent city. You're here at a church in the middle of the city, you're affluent. Now, you might be going, oh, look, I'm not that affluent. You kind of look around and you kind of know some of the jobs that other people in this room have or you look at some of your neighbours and you kind of go, oh, I'm like the poorest on my street. And look, yeah, there might be people who have more and be more affluent and more upwardly mobile than perhaps you feel. But you've got to broaden your scope for where you're going to look to compare yourself. Have a global vision. And as you have a global vision, you will know that you are amongst the top few percent of wealthy people in the world simply by living in this city. 
Quick show of hands, who has a, 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 a tap in their home with running water? Come on, put them up. If, okay, everyone's hands are either up or people are asleep. We've all got a tap. Keep your hands up if you've got two taps in your home. Three taps? There's some of you like, I've got four taps just in the shower. It's glorious, right? Five taps? Well, you don't need to keep counting. There's people going, okay. Da, 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 da. There'd be some of us here who have 20 taps in our home. Just having one puts you in the, the wealthiest people on the planet category. We are wealthy. We are affluent. And when Jesus speaks about money, which he does often, yeah, there's sometimes where you kind of go, oh, this might be a word that might be more relevant for someone else, somewhere else in a different culture, in a different time, somewhere else in the world. Well, when Jesus talks about money, listen up. You've got it. Even if you don't feel like you've got a lot of cash that is on hand and cash flow to just spend on whatever, we are wealthy. And, you know, much of our wealth is tied up in, in real estate and housing is a big deal. And look, whether you personally own the place that you live or whether you are renting uh, the place that you live, we are constantly thinking about what's next when it comes to housing, aren't we? It could be purchasing a place because we don't want to rent any more. It could be making the place we rent look as best as it possibly can. It could be renovating the place that we already own. It could be building that dream home. Now, we don't have a clear command like this rich ruler does from Jesus to each of us as individuals that says every person who wants to be a follower of Jesus has to sell their property, give it all away, and then follow after Jesus. We don't have that as a specific command to all Christians everywhere, but could you? Could you live a bit more simply? Could you show that your heart is not captivated by money, possessions and housing, by giving more away, by being more generous? Or is there something about the security that comes inside the walls of your home, the stability that comes inside the walls of your home that actually reveals that perhaps you treasure that you treasure all that the, ha- the home brings, again, whether renting or owning, more than you treasure God. You know, or it might be, you know what, I, I, I want to I have the ultimate home, I want to have the dream home, I want it to work perfectly so that then I can be hospitable. You don't need to have much stuff to be hospitable. hospitable. You don't need to have the best house on the street. You don't even have to have stuff that matches to be hospitable. I've, been, I've done a number of mission trips and encouraged by uh, people in the developing world who have been ridiculously generous to me, ridiculously hospitable with their homes, dirt floors, no running taps, and yet I see in brothers and sisters in Vanuatu, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, in Nepal see people in places with so much less than I have who show a heart of hospitality and generosity with the little that they've got. 
So brothers and sisters, you can actually use your current home, not just some idea of a future dream home. You can use where you currently are to honour Jesus, to show hospitality, to show that you're sitting loosely with the things of this world because you care more about Jesus, you care more about people than you do about the accumulation of more comfortable residences. You know, a Christian is someone who has Jesus as number one. I wonder whether if people were to observe your life, they would see that, that Jesus is supreme and ultimate in your life. Or, or whether the way that you live, the way that you spend your money, the way that you prioritise things, the things that you worry about show that perhaps someone or something else is captivating your heart, your affection and getting your worship. Now, I remember as an early teenager hearing a pastor at a church say, hey, a Christian is someone who has Jesus as number one. I remember thinking, really? Top, probably top five, definitely top ten, probably top five. Now, at the time, it was like soccer really mattered to me and, 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 and the beach really mattered to me and tennis, I kind of... I enjoyed that as well. I'm like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, like I, I take him seriously, but these other things are kind of more important. I've got to do well at school, and yeah, Jesus is definitely top five. I've got Jesus in the top five. And yet, by my later teen years, coming to realize, wait, hang on, Dave, that pastor was right. A Christian is someone that has Jesus as number one. Soccer's not number one. Tennis is not number one. The beach is not number one. School is not number one. Jesus is number one. And so whether you profess to be Christian or not, ask some hard questions of yourself. Now, it could be anything, but let's think about wealth. Let's think about money. Let's think about possessions. They're kind of at the forefront in this passage. And this man is unwilling to give those things up to love Jesus. What are the things that are getting in the way of you personally, having Jesus on the throne of your life, loving Him more than the things of this world. You see, we go from the request, number one, to number two, the problem. The problem should be pretty clear by now, shouldn't it? The problem is that the reality is that it's pretty tough to get into heaven, have a look at the next verse. Verse 24. Jesus, seeing that the rich ruler had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if you underline things in your Bible, but if you've got a few dollars, which you do, that's a verse worth underlining. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, for it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, we've, what's that all about? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. There's been all sorts of bizarre things said about this passage. Apparently, there's a, a gate in Jerusalem called Eye of the Needle. And so some people have said, oh, Okay, well, Eye of the Needle is kind of about this big and a camel is about this big. And so it's just going to be a little bit uncomfortable to kind of squeeze the camel through without hurting the camel. 
Are you serious? <laughs> this isn't just hyperbole. <laughs> this isn't just, well, there, there's, a, there's a gate that we've just got to kind of duck under to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, no, G- Jesus has a ridiculous picture. Camels are like this big. Has anyone ridden a camel? I've ridden a camel. They're big. They're really big. And they, like a, a camel is so much bigger than me. Huge. And Jesus is saying it's easier for a camel, as big as it is, to go through the eye of a needle. Can everyone get, their, get, get two fingers? Get your pointer finger and your thumb out. Put it in front of your face and try to get your finger and your thumb to touch without quite touching. That's an eye of a needle. <laughs> right? It's tiny. And, and Jesus is saying it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it's impossible for a rich person to get eternal life. They can't do anything to gain eternal life. And it's important for us to realize that, isn't it? That's a big problem. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for you. And look at the problem that people identify the problem in Jesus' audience. Those who heard verse 26 said then who can be saved? It was right to ask that question, who can be saved? Because here's the thing, if Jesus has just said, okay, here's five rules from the second half of the Ten Commandments and keep those and you'll be okay. Oh, actually, I didn't mention the first half of the Ten Commandments, but I know that you're not really loving God more than your stuff, see? And let's be honest, his unwillingness to sell his stuff, his unwillingness to do without and give to the poor probably shows us he's not that good a neighbor anyway. It's not only that he's not loving God, he's probably a little bit fooled thinking that he is doing all these wonderful things to his neighbor. The reality is that rich ruler failed and yet we've all failed too. We're all guilty of sin of deser- and we're all deserving of death. We've, we've all, like him, have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves and the deeper heart issue of sin, we've failed to love God and worship God and treat God as number one in our lives. And so we, like the rich ruler, it's impossible for us to be saved. We need someone else, somehow else, to save us. See, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. You know, even the rich ruler's question, back up there in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is the wrong question. He doesn't understand inheritances. <laughs> what do you do to inherit eternal life? Well, inheritance is not earned. <laughs> inheritance is a gift based on your family. It's ultimately not about what you do because you failed to do what you were supposed to do. You can't stand before God righteous as a lover of people and a lover of God because we all fall short. And you know, the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion is the difference between do and done. Religion says, do this and hopefully you'll be saved. Christianity says, done. Jesus has done it all. Religion says, you know, do this, wash in the river, pray five five times a day, undertake a pilgrimage to a holy city, go to a church, read your Bible, do, 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 and hopefully you do enough and you can be saved. Look, I've asked this question of 
of religious people dozens, probably hundreds of times, in hundreds of conversations, uh, I've asked people who are from different religions, you know, are you confident that you have eternal life? Are you confident that your God will accept you? One, people kind of lack a confidence and assurance. But two, when pushed, they're hoping, you know, if I do enough good things, I hope that Allah or God, whoever we call him, I hope that Allah will weigh up my good and my bad and hopefully my good will outweigh my bad and I'll be welcomed into paradise. All religions say do, do, do. And yet Jesus is opposed to that type of religion that's all about do because Christianity is not about what you do. When it's left to you to do, we fall short. We don't love our neighbor. We don't love our God. Christianity, therefore, is not the do religion. It's the done religion. Jesus has done it. I don't do anything to inherit eternal life. It's because of what Christ has done on my behalf. There's some of you here right now who are hoping that even the deed of turning up to church Sunday by Sunday as often as you can is I'm doing, 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 hoping to make myself acceptable before God. You've missed the mark. Religiosity cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And that's actually good news. That's liberating. You can have a certain hope. You can have assurance because you're not relying on your own doing, your own religiosity. You know, if it was up to God, like if it was, gee, I hope I've done enough good to outweigh my bad, I've got no confidence on being able to stand on that last day and take hold of eternal life. But Christianity, the good news of Jesus is that he's done it all. And so we've gone from, number one, the request. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God, love your neighbor. The problem, number two, he hasn't loved God wholeheartedly. He hasn't even loved his neighbor wholeheartedly. And likewise, that's our problem. We don't do enough to make ourselves worthy of eternal life. And so the third and final thing that we see is the solution to our problem and the ultimate answer to the request from the beginning the solution. Well, it's impossible to save yourself, but the impossible is made possible through Jesus. Have a look with me there at verse 27. They've just asked verse 26, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You cannot get that camel through the eye of a needle. Stop trying. That's not the way of inheriting eternal life. Stop trying to earn eternal life. The impossible is made possible by God through his son, Jesus. Look, verse 28 continues and and it says, uh, Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Some people will get it right. Now, let's be careful. The disciples didn't get it right by suddenly doing all the righteous things to earn their salvation, right? Right? 
They've, they've listened to the call of Jesus. They've actually turned their back on the things of this world. They've followed after Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you've done the right thing. Now, they haven't earned their way like a camel squeezing itself through the eye of a needle. But, but God has saved them through His Son, Jesus, that now they follow after Him. They treasure Him. They follow Him above the things of this world. And so how is it possible for the impossible to be made possible through Jesus? Well, this is one of those moments where you just read a little bit further than our set text for today and we find the answer. Have a look, verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished." For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. How does God make the impossible possible through Jesus? The answer is the gospel. The gospel work that Jesus has come that we read about in the gospels that he has come to accomplish. You see, Jesus is the one that's had all sorts of things written about Him in the Old Testament. He's the Son of Man, spoken of there in verse 31. The the, the prophets pointed to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus comes and, and fulfills all righteousness. He lives a perfect life. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, 10 out of 10. When it comes to loving His neighbor as Himself, 10 out of 10. When it comes to loving his Father, above all else, 10 out of 10, Jesus lives the perfect life as a lover of God and a lover of others. And Jesus, we know they're on their way. We already know this if we were tracking with the narrative in Luke's gospel. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. And the the mission to go to Jerusalem is because Jesus is going to his end in Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered over. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be shamed. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to be raised from the dead. The whole purpose that these, the whole purpose of the gospels is Jesus comes, God in flesh comes and lives a perfect life and goes to Jerusalem to die that sacrificial death, to give himself over the sinless one in the place of sinners. But more than that, to not only die in our place for our failure to love God and our failure to love our neighbor, but he's raised from the dead. Death could not hold him down. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he offers eternal life to all who would but turn to him and trust in him. Not that we do, do, do and try to now earn our way to God, but He has done it all. It's all about Him. The impossible is made possible through Jesus. What matters is therefore how we respond to Jesus. We trust Jesus. We love Jesus. We adore Jesus. We value Jesus more than our religious acts. We value Jesus more than our money and possessions. We value Jesus more than our home and our comforts. We value Jesus more than anything else. As I invite the band out the front, we began with that question of who are you going to worship? Money and things... 
body, beauty, and sexual allure, career, success, and power, they won't save you. If anything, they'll eat you alive because they won't be enough. Approaching God religiously won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And so trust him. And now worship him. Not that our worship earns salvation. We're saved by grace and God's kindness and freely because of what Jesus has done. And so we now worship in response to all that he's done for us, all that he's given freely to us, all that we inherit, the eternal life we get, not by do, but trusting in Jesus and what he has done. I love this uh, next song that we're about to sing and how it speaks about where our wealth is truly found, where our hope and our security is ultimately found. This song speaks of how it's found at the cross. Our wealth is in the cross. Where Christ, we see Christ's love on display for us. The one who lived, the one who died, and the one who would be raised again. And so we, 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 we turn our backs on the things of this world. That doesn't say we, can, we no longer live in this world, but we still got to live in this world. But that is our hope. That is our security. That is, that is the ultimate thing in our lives, is that we, we follow after him who died for us and was raised again. Church, would you stand as we pray and, and then respond in song together? Our gracious God, we thank you for this time together right now. And Father, I get a sense that there's people in this room who are doing things trying to get your attention, doing things trying to earn your favor. Help them to see that that is futile and help them to see how kind you've been. That they don't have to earn eternal life. They don't have to earn acceptance from you. They can receive it freely by trusting in your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his life perfect love of you and perfect love of his neighbor. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his resurrection and we thank you that he gives eternal life to all who trust in him. Father, we we know of the temptations of the things of this world and there's some of us here who profess to follow Jesus but need to turn from being lovers of, of possessions, being lovers of money, being lovers of comfort, lifestyle. Help us to turn to trust Christ and to be worshippers of Him, the true and living God. Not that we now try to earn our way back to You, but we take hold of what You've freely given to us in Jesus. And so, Father, would You be with us as we are sent out from this place today? Be with us as we sing and be with us as we are sent out that this week we would reflect upon Your Word and we would worship Christ. We trust Christ. We love Him. It's in his name and for your glory that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.